0: Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Let's go ahead and grab our bibles we'll flip over to 1 John chapter 4 we're not going to read just yet if you would like to get your bible ready it's 1 John chapter 4 the title of our sermon this morning is love perfected it's going to be in 1 John Before we get started, I do uh, want to, you could probably see it in your bulletin, but just to make sure that you hear it out loud, uh, we do this Thursday at 6.30 p.m., not a.m., we will have a a members meeting. We are going to vote to um, agree on the budget for 2021. Um, And then Friday, or Saturday the 6th, uh, we are having our Sabbath day celebration at the house of Michael and Heather Murray and uh, they said that they'll have door prizes. Um, somebody's going to win a truck that evening, right? It's all right. Okay, well, one of these days I'm going to do that and it's going to work. So, <laughs> First John chapter 4, if you'll go ahead and stand with me, we're going to read verses 17 through 21. 1 John chapter 4, 17 through 21. This is the word of the living God. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment Lord, we come before You this morning with Bibles open and hopefully hearts open as well. But Lord, we need Your Spirit to open the eyes of our heart that we may see great and wonderful things in Your Word. Lord, I pray that as I stand here trying to talk about the immeasurable love of God, I pray that You would use me, though I am inadequate, Lord. I pray that Your Word would be sufficient for us this morning and would go forth and find fertile ground in the soils of our heart to bear much fruit for your glory. We pray for this in your holy name. Amen. You can be seated. I was talking with Josh the other day, and he was talking about, this is a very spiritual conversation, he was talking about how some people eat food in such a way that you watch them eat and you say, wow, that looks delicious. You eat that in a way that makes me want what you have and we're eating the same thing. When I eat it, it doesn't taste the way that you make it look. And I thought to myself, why do you watch people eat? (laughs) But seriously, isn't that how we should serve the Lord. That we serve Him and love Him and enjoy Him in such a way that other people see our lives and say, you make me want Jesus. The way that you love Him, the way that you sing about Him, the way that you talk about Him, the way that you study your Bible, it makes me want Jesus. I pray that today as we travel through First John that, that that would happen in your heart that this would cause you to really, really want to love Jesus. God's love towards us is, is not an end in and of itself. Meaning, He does not extend His love towards us, that we would merely experience moments of sentimentalism, maybe shed a tear from time to time when we're listening to a worship song in our car, those things happen. but That's not what the point of God's love towards us is. It's also not that we would just have a phrase whenever we're speaking Christianese. that We would be able to say, hey, God loves you. That wasn't the point of Christ's sacrifice. Though it is true that God is love. But rather, God's love towards us, it is effectual. It is purposeful. It is energizing and it is transformative. God's love works. God's love changes. God's love is so powerful and so profound that when it lands on a person, it transforms their life. It is not just something that you add. It's not just a supplement. Anytime my wife so much as sneezes, I reach for the vitamin C, the emergency. And I take two. And she's like, well, that's too much. It's not going to even do anything in your body. You're just going to expel it later. Uh, That's too many. You only need 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C in a day. But I make us take vitamin C. Why? Because I'm a crazy person. But whenever I take it, I don't just take it because I like the way it tastes. I take it to accomplish something, hoping that it will help to strengthen my immune system, correct? And in the same way, when God's love was sent towards us and placed upon us in eternity past, it is for a purpose. It is so that something would be accomplished within us, not just so that we could make a bumper sticker to put on our Prius, Today, we're going to look at, from our text, we're going to see at least, there are probably more, but there are at least four effects of God's love in our lives here in our text. The first thing that we're going to look at is our first major heading that says, God's love provides confidence for judgment day. That's 17A and 17B. And those little letters, by the way, just mean the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse. Let's read it together again. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. By this is love perfected with us. John is using another one of his favorite words, isn't he? How many times have we looked at that word perfect or perfected as we've been studying 1 John? But this isn't meaning perfect in the way that we might normally think about it. But it's it's meaning more um, completion or maturity. Or in our context, we could say, by this has love reached its intended end with us. By this has love accomplished its purpose with us. By this has love done its job with us. I want to point this out to reiterate that God's love towards us isn't just meant to be some nice, cuddly, warm feeling. But we see right away from verse 17 that God's love does something, it's perfected, it's a verb. It's it's an action word. It does something. It's perfected with us. God doesn't love us in in a vague, ambiguous, take it or leave it kind of way. But rather, God loves us so ferociously that it has an impact on our lives. God loves us so purposefully and intentionally that it affects us. It does something to you in such a way that you are forever changed. So when John is saying love is perfected with us, because the word with is there, it doesn't mean that thanks to us we add to God's love in some way that in some way or some shape or some form causes it to be perfected. But rather, in us, God's love is perfected in us, within us, inside of us, in our hearts, in our spirits. We could even say among us when we're talking about a community of believers. By this is love reaching its intended end in the community of believers, comma. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Doesn't that kind of take a turn that you're not expecting? So that we would have confidence for the day of judgment. I thought he loved me because I'm awesome. I thought he loved me because I'm good at stuff. I thought he loved me because I go to church a lot. I thought he loved me so that I would be a good person. God's love is perfected with us so that we can have confidence on the day of of judgment. You see, so often in our culture today, even in, among professing Christians, we think about the Christian life in such a temporal way that it's just about down here, that it's just about making it through Monday, that it's just about having a good life, that it's just about being a nice person. But here, the first place that John goes to tell us how God's love and why God's love is perfected within us is to talk about eternity. Do you have an eternal focus? Do you think with an eternal mindset? When you give generously, are you thinking with an eternal mindset or just how this will immediately impact your bank account? When you... Sign up to go serve at the church. Are you thinking with an eternal mindset of I'm storing up rewards in heaven? Or are you just thinking about how this is another thing that I have to fit into my week? Do you see how Christians are to think eternally? Not temporally. Not down here. But up there. He's showing us here God's love has a purpose and what it looks like when it is accomplished within us. So that. It could mean because, or in order that, or for the purpose of. Now this theme should sound familiar. You'll remember back in chapter 2, it's verse 28. John wrote, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. This confidence that we will have is for the last day. It is for the day of judgment. It is for the return of Christ. That's what this confidence is for. So when the sky cracks open and we see our Savior, or we die and we cross over into eternity, and we see Jesus that way, that we would have confidence and not shrink back in shame or fear and say, Oh no, my time is up. But that we would have confidence there. Second Peter 3 7 says, But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. I want to point this out to you, that this day of judgment is a day where you will want to have confidence. It is a day when you do not want to have to shrink in fear. Why? Because here Peter is saying that the earth and sky are going to run away from the presence of God. How much more will sinful man... Run from the presence of God at that day. Shrinking back in shame or guilt or fear. But here John is saying, when love is perfected in you, you will have confidence on that day. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who was seated on it from His presence Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Books were opened where there is an account being taken down of your life. All the deeds that you do in this body, all the things that you do during this lifetime are written down in a book. And then there is another more important book. It is the Lamb's Book of Life. You know whose names are written in there? All of those names whose godless deeds in the other book will not be counted against them. It's all of those who Christ purchased by his blood. All of those who have been regenerated. All of those who have been saved by grace and grace alone. All of those, as John says, who God has perfected his love within so that they can have confidence and say, I know my name is in that book. I know it is. Because I know that I lived a life experiencing the fullness of God's love. As John wrote back in 2.28, we can have confidence and not shrink away in fear. We can leap for joy instead of running for the hills. We can stand there on judgment day knowing that when the Lord opens those books, He will see purchased, redeemed by the blood. This one was mine. And we will have confidence. For this reason, as we look forward to that day in confidence, we can stand in assurance here and now, today. That's our second major heading, is that God's love gives us assurance in this lifetime. We don't have to wait for the day of judgment to have that confidence. We can have assurance here today, which is something similar to what we talked about the last time we were together. Look at verse 17, the last part of the verse. He says, "...because as He is, so also are we in this world." What does that mean, here and now, right now, today, where we are, this world, not the next life, not the next time, not the next age, here, now, today, in this world? But the first question that comes to mind is, what in the world is he talking about, right? As he is, so also are we. What does that mean? Because as he is, so also are we, I see that everybody wore their thinking caps. I'm so appreciative of that, so we to have to think a little bit here, because as he is, so also are we. One of the effects of God's love is that we can have assurance of God's love in this lifetime, assurance of salvation, assurance of the confidence that we will have on Judgment Day. Why? Because as he is, so also are we in this world. What he's saying is as he is loved, so also are we loved in this world. I will confess to you that probably one of the most difficult things to wrap my mind around is not the eternality of God, that He's eternal. Not the omnipotence of God, that He's all-powerful. Not the omniscience of God, that He's all-knowing. Not that God had an eternal decree before time began of how things would work. But God's love. It's the hardest thing to wrap my head around. Because to understand God's love towards us We need to understand God's love for His Son. John 14.10 says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father? This is Jesus talking. That I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. John 15, 9-11. Listen to this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, God's commandments towards you are not to keep you from joy, but to lead you right to it. Here Jesus is saying, I keep my Father's commandments and I have perfect unity with Him and perfect joy at all times in all moments of my life. And He loves me so perfectly and profoundly and deeply and that's how I love you as well and I want you to experience the joy I have knowing this unity knowing this closeness knowing this intimacy knowing this love it will fill you with joy I don't know about you but I would love to have the joy of Christ at all times in my life Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Look at verse 11. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Go down to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What does that mean? That means not just the disciples, but also all Christians in the future. Those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you see this? God's love isn't just something to give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. If you are in Christ, God's love for you is the same love the Father has for the Son. Don't you realize this is an unchanging, irrevocable, eternal kind of love? One of the scariest parts about entering into marriage is, what if this doesn't work out? What if you stop loving me? What if, what if she finds another man? What if he finds another woman? And we are fearful of someone's love for us running out. My friends, if you are in Christ, God's love for you does not have an expiration date. It will never run out. He'll never find another to trade you in for. He'll never leave you high and dry. He'll never stop loving you because you can't measure up to His love. He'll never say, you're never going to figure this out. I'm done with you. He'll never abandon you. His love for you is the same love that that God has for God. Isn't that amazing? That is mind-blowing. And here we are, just playing church, right? Like we, we, we get tied up on all these small little things. Like Just think about God's love for you for a moment. It will change your world. We get so caught up with this Jeremiah 29.11 type of theology that God just has a good plan for you. He wants you to have a, a great life. And we miss the height and the breadth and the depth of God's love for us. Because we think it's about having a nice life here, but it's not. It's about giving us eternal life where he will love us for all of eternity. Are you kidding me? Sign me up. We miss how powerful this is. How all soul satisfying life changing faith strengthening it is. Christ didn't die just to give you a nice life or a ride in the HOV lane to heaven. Christ died for you so he could give you himself. That is irrevocable. It's unchangeable. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, counted to us by faith when we trust in the perfect work of Christ For salvation, not in anything that we could possibly ever do, think, or say. But just looking at what Christ did and saying, Thank you, I believe it, I'm yours. It allows us to stand as blameless before the Father as Christ does. Because we are clothed in His righteousness. Forgiven, given life, counted righteous and loved. We are as loved as Christ is loved now in this lifetime. Third, you see, when we come to know and believe this, it dispels fear. Our third heading is God's love casts out fear. Verse 18, read it with me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, two things. Number one, this doesn't mean you won't be afraid of the boogeyman anymore. One of my favorite pastimes is terrifying my wife. I sneak up on her because I think I can, I could probably scare her right now, honestly. Uh, it's very easy, and I love it, and she loves it. It's her favorite thing about me. It doesn't mean that kind of fear, right? This is a different kind of fear. But it's also not referring to the fear of the Lord. There are people who will tell you that God doesn't want you to fear Him. Well, that's absolutely not true. Proverbs 1 opens up telling us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to know why there's so many bad ideas in our Uh, politics and community and culture today is because there's no fear of God in their eyes. Therefore, there is no wisdom anymore because they don't fear God who is the fountain of all wisdom. But it's not talking about that. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 tells us, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our god is a consuming fire that's the kind of fear that we should have for the lord is reverence and awe it is revering his holiness it is revering the fact that he is a consuming fire it is being awestruck at his holiness his goodness his glory In that sense, we are to fear the Lord, and there is fear in our love for Him. But what this context is talking about is what we find in Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Father. Paul's writing here can help us to understand this kind of fear. In that context, this fear he's speaking of is not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He refers to the spirit of slavery that would cause us to fall back into fear. Back into fear. In other words, there is a fear that we have had before Christ. What is it? It's the fear of dying. Why? Because I know that there is a God out there who is going to hold me accountable. And I know that I'm going to stand before Him and I'm going to hold up filthy rags of my own self-righteousness. And I know that I'm going to suffer eternal punishment. That is the kind of fear that this perfect love dispels and quenches and does away with entirely. This reminds us back of verse 17 that we can have confidence. It's the opposite of fear, isn't it? I can be confident. I don't have to have fear. I don't have to fear if coronavirus kills me. Why? Because Christ has bore my sin. And I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And I can know that to die is gain. And I can know that if he t- chooses to take my life with coronavirus or a car wreck or drowning or a fire or whatever else, that I will stand before my king and I'll be with him for eternity. So we don't have to have fear of death anymore. We don't have to be afraid of these things. Because we are loved perfectly. When love is perfected with us, it causes us to see that we have no need to fear God's wrath any longer. Not because God's wrath isn't worthy of fear, but because God's wrath has been poured onto Christ on our behalf. Christ has quenched the wrath of God for the children of God. It's gone. It's done. There is no more. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me. That was the cup of God's holy, righteous indignation that was meant for you and for me. And when he was on the cross, he drank that down to the dregs. It's empty for his people, for his children. There's no more wrath. So there's no more fear. I can now be free to love God my Savior, without fear that He's just standing over me with the belt ready to to whoop me good. To be sure, the Father does discipline those who He loves. But He doesn't pour His wrath out on you anymore because His wrath was quenched in Christ. And that's why as Christ is loved, so are we loved Right now, in this world, you have no need to be scared of His gaze upon you, for when He looks upon you, He sees the shed blood of His precious Son, whom He loves with an everlasting love. You will sin, Christian. You will sin plenty. And you will grieve and you will mourn, I hope, as evidence of the Spirit within you. And you will fight your sin and you will hate it And you will have moments where you want to take Christ's word seriously and gouge out your eyes and cut off your hand because you want to be so done with sin. But in those moments, don't fear that God will turn His back on you. Don't fear that God's wrath will be poured on you. Instead, allow His love towards you to draw you back to Him. Run back to the mercy seat. Run back to the foot of the cross and gaze upon the perfect sacrifice and understand that He knew this sin was coming and He bore this one too. That doesn't lead you to go enjoy all the sin you want. The person who's really been gripped by grace understands this and runs To the Father, runs from their sin. As you meditate more and more on this love, it fills your cup to overflowing and it overflows overflows onto others. Look at verse 19. We love because He first loved us. God's love overflows onto others. Our last point today. It's no mistake that John makes this short, powerful statement next. He reminds us that we don't love God because we love God. We don't love Him because of how righteous we are or how good we are or anything else that is within us. We love God in response to His love for us. He initiated this entire Arrangement. His love is not hingent upon you. How good you can be or how many times you can go to church without missing a day. He first loved you when you were at your most unlovable. He loved you. In that scene that art painted for us, as you stood there as a despicable, guilty wretch, Christ looked at you in love said, I love this man. I love this woman. I will take their charges and I will die in their stead. He painted it perfectly, didn't he? There was nothing that that man did to save himself. There was nothing that that man did to earn a clean slate. He was in cuffs ready to get locked away. And Christ stepped in He we love because He first loved us. The word first here carries the sense of preceding all others in time or space or degree. Titus three three through five. by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, we love because He first loved us. Ephesians chapter 2, 3-6, through 6, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The two most important words in all of Scripture, verse 4, But... God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. What a beautiful explanation of salvation. I want you to see verse 20 and 21. We're going to do this quickly here. I want you to notice from verse 19, we love. We love. In other words, there is something that we are doing. We do love because he first loved us. His His love was so powerful that it did something to us, and it now causes us, when we were resentful and ugly towards people, and always backbiting, and always having some criticism, and always having bad things to say about everybody, now, because we have come to know His love, He has changed our hearts in such a way that we now love As John wrote earlier in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. If anyone says, I love God, here in verse 20, and hates his brother, he's a liar. Why? Because you can only love God based on His love towards you. You can only love God by the Spirit of God and that same Spirit fills your heart with the knowledge of His love towards you causing you to reciprocate love back to God which has the effect of producing love in your heart for other people. This work is so powerful, so mighty, so transcendent, so life-altering that John writes that if someone claims to love God and that's not happening, they are a liar. Wow. It's cause for examination now, isn't it? But you see, I hope that I built the case with John's words in the first part of this sermon for you to understand how powerful and amazing God's love is, and to understand that if it's that big and amazing, it's got to do something in my life. Something must have to change. If you get hit by a Mack truck today as you're walking across the street and it's going 100 miles per hour, my friends, will you walk away from that wreck? No, you will not. That Mack truck is so powerful, it did something to you. But still, when we are changed by God's love, we want to say, I love God, but there is no change in our hearts. How can this be? John is saying, If that's the case, then you're a liar. These words are not here to beat you over the head and make you feel like a loser and then walk away from Christ saying, I don't measure up. These words are here to make you understand that all of us are liars, that none of us measure up. But he loves us despite us. Our response to his love and his sacrifice is not to say, great thanks, can we go to lunch? It's to run to the foot of the cross, to repent of our sins, and to trust in Christ for salvation. The one prerequisite for salvation, do you know what it is? You must be a sinner. He doesn't take good people. He takes the wretch. He doesn't take the righteous. He takes the unrighteous. He doesn't love the lovely. He loves the unlovable and then makes them lovely and then makes you righteous. Please stand. God giving his love to you is not an end in and of itself. It is incredibly efficient, accomplishing more than we could ask, think, or imagine. It will be our cause for confidence on the day of judgment. His love fills our hearts with assurance in this lifetime. It empowers us to live free from fear of his wrath. And as we focus on his love for us, it overflows onto the brothers and sisters around us. We're going to sing a hymn of this great love. Heavenly Father, Lord, who, who, who can even begin to thank you and put into words how great a debt we owe you for this great love that you show towards us. I certainly can't, Lord, but I just want to sit here and, and thank you. I want to thank you for this love that you've shown towards us in Christ. I thank you that it, you did have a purpose for this. I thank you that your love is that powerful. And Lord, I pray that your love is transforming our hearts individually, even now, and corporately even now. I pray that you would help us to have have greater visions, greater understandings, greater um, sights of your love as we dive into your scripture throughout the week. As we go before you in prayer, that we would remember that We're talking to our Father, not some cruel taskmaster. That we're talking to our Father who loves us perfectly. Lord, I pray that this would change us this week. And that it would overflow in our lives onto other people for your glory. We pray for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.